0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report. This is a special bonus presentation of the FCPA Compliance Report. I'm joined by Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, and we take a look at uh, our initial thoughts on the Walmart FCPA enforcement action that was announced last week. This is certainly one of the largest, uh, most significant FCPA cases in some time. Even if the fine and penalty is only 282 million, it's gone on at least uh, seven or eight years. Uh, it's a massive uh, internal matter for Walmart, having spent nearly a billion dollars in overall cost, of both remediation and pre-settlement investigation. Now we have a 282 million, and now, and uh, they've been imposed with a monitor, so they will have additional costs going forward. So. It is, uh, I think, one of the most significant enforcement actions of the year. There's a lot to dissect, digest, uh, slice and dice, and we're going to try to to give it a start uh, in this podcast. I hope that uh, you will enjoy it. This is a special bonus presentation of the FCPA Compliance Report, which is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I am here with Mr. Monitor Jay Rosen, and we are going to take a look at the Walmart FCPA enforcement action, which came out yesterday. Or excuse me, uh, Thursday of this past week. Uh, it is certainly one of the uh, most anticipated uh, FCPA enforcement actions, literally since the New York Times broke the story back in April of 2012. So, Jay, uh, first of all, uh, what were your kind of initial thoughts?
1: Well, f- first of all, I was kind of shocked by the way it just kind of went out there in the universe because we've been following this matter, uh, you know, actually prior to the New York Times. Uh, we've, I think, first heard about it in the fall of 2011. So for it just to kind of sneak out on a Thursday afternoon, you and I were getting to record this week at FCPA. So i um, not surprised by the numbers, but just really surprised at the length it took to get this one over the finish line. And, you know, a lot of times in these global investigations, it's kind of like seeing the tip of the iceberg, that there's a lot that's happened beneath leading up into that point. And, um, you know, what I think you and I will cover in this podcast is You know, number one, what took them so long to get to this point? Part of it we're gonna look at is the uh, changeover from the Obama administration to the Trump administration and what signals did they see to get that penalty down. And now uh, to get this at 230 million ish or so, it's a very good outcome. And, uh, you know, now what you have to look at is the company going forward, they have the best program that a billion dollars combined. Uh, the proof in the pudding is this, uh, you know, will this program, uh, work going forward and, uh, you know, you can't rest on your laurels and now having the best that a billion can buy, but you've got to actually show that does this compliance program work and will it prevent future missteps? So those are my initial thoughts. Yours, Tom.
0: So the, um... I I certainly agree that uh, uh, this has been one of the most readily anticipated. The uh, number which was uh, finally derived that we're going to hopefully take some uh, detail uh, into was right at what Walmart reserved about a year ago. So there's really no surprise in the total number um, of fine and penalty and profit disgorgement. I was talking to one overseas colleague, and he was just distraught at the number was so low. And I uh, sort of opined that when you have uh, fines and penalties for licenses, the numbers tend to be lower than if you're actually paying for contracts. So I think that was certainly one uh, one reason the number was lower. One of the reasons you mentioned, Jay, the uh, nearly one billion dollars in pre settlement costs expended by Walmart, I think had to play into that. Uh, The other thing is the conduct, while certainly egregious on multiple levels, occurred uh, uh, as far back as 2000. Uh, The Mexico uh, conduct uh, that was the highlight of the – or highlighted, rather, in the New York Times piece and in the uh, plea agreement NPA and SEC cease and desist order uh, occurred – Uh, I think, was uh, largely over by uh, 2005-2006, although um, there were continued problems, I think, uh, acknowledged in all three of those documents up to uh, the 2011 timeframe. The self-disclosure or not was really unclear to me, Jay, and I say that because the SEC order Said that the company had self-disclosed to the commission around uh, Mexico in November 2011, and thereafter, the um, Walmart disclosed its findings regarding corruption in Brazil, China, and India. The Department of Justice said that uh walmart disclosed potential corruption in brazil to it subsequently disclosed potential corruption in china and india but did not disclose uh conduct in mexico until after the department of justice was investigating it so um and they uh, all gave different levels of credit for that so i was a little bit confused by the the self-disclosure or not um On one hand, you had the SEC saying they self-disclosed in Mexico, but not Brazil, China, and India. And the DOJ saying they self-disclosed in Brazil, but not in the other countries. So um, the formula for the um, criminal penalty against Walmart under the U.S. sentencing guidelines was frankly a typical uh, machination of... uh, Numbers which are somewhat difficult to fully work through. But one thing caught me was that under the sentencing guidelines, there is a potential reduction in your overall culpability score based on the following. The organization fully cooperated in the investigation and clearly demonstrated recognition and affirmative acceptance of its responsibility for criminal conduct. You can get up to a minus five for that. And uh, Walmart got a minus two. So that means something was lacking, uh, and I'm not quite sure what that something was. Um, so um, the uh, bribery schemes generally involved uh, third parties. Uh, in uh, Mexico, it was uh, uh, th- third party intermediaries. Brazil, the same. Uh, India, excuse me, in China. In India, the uh, third party was really a joint venture partner. So we had a wide variety of structural corruption. Uh, Oh, and and, uh, uh, the the final point of why the fine and penalty may have been at the level it was is that it's not referenced at all in any of these settlement documents. But I think uh, all of the principals who were involved in terms of being senior execs at the time have all uh, retired or otherwise left the company. And... Uh, certainly, the the former GC, uh, uh, former uh, CEO, former board members uh, have left the company, and so the once again, this is not referenced in any of the settlement documents. But I would have to opine that that gave some uh, the enforcement agencies in the form of SEC and DOJ gave some credit to Walmart for uh, moving out the people who allowed the uh, corruption to. Uh, To go forward. So um, the uh, fines and penalties, I think, were uh, 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 right around what we typically have seen in the past in these kinds of uh, licensing cases, uh, even if it uh, it appeared, as uh, Matt Kelly uh, articulated, that it would take Walmart five hours of uh, gross profits to pay for all of this uh, fine and penalty. So you want to maybe go into some of the um, specific uh, areas of corruption, Jay?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I just before we go into there, I wanted to get your thought about, um, you know, is this a big nothing burger after all this time now, or is it significant? Because we, you just stated that the um, penalties seem to be commensurate with uh, uh, with kind of getting permitting, like we've seen in these kind of cases. So, um, you know, pundits have said at one point this was going to be one of the most significant FCPA um, rulings ever to come down the pike. Now that we're at the other end, um, how significant is this and what are the uh, lessons that we should be uh, deriving moving forward?
0: So, Jay, uh, from where I sit, uh, it is one of the most significant. Uh, anytime you have the world's largest retailers, uh, anytime they do something, it's significant. Um, as, um, well, I can't remember the name who quoted it, but it's too good of a quote uh, to d- say it without the name. But the um, uh, anytime Walmart uh, does something, uh, I think that's significant. The real significance to me, Jay, was the number you alluded to nearly $1 billion in pre settlement uh, remediation and investigative costs. And I think that that number should be used for multiple reasons. One reason is it shows, number one, the the real cost of a company which gets caught up in an FCPA investigation, massive or otherwise. It's always a large multiple of the actual fine and penalty. So here we have, uh, you know, between a, a third and a fourth, or, or three and four times, rather. And uh, we haven't even gotten to the monitor yet. So, th- you know, there's going to be uh, additional costs beyond uh, the one nearly $1 billion, $282, uh, So that's, you know, nearly $1.3 billion. And then we, uh, we're going to have the post-resolution cost of the monitor, whatever those might be. So if you look at it in a very holistic approach, uh the number is very significant. But if we just focus on the pre-settlement numbers and think about what Walmart could have saved if they did have an effective compliance program and um had actually operationalized, but more importantly, done compliance. Um uh, Walmart had a paper program in place, and they had a paper program in place as early as 2003. It was not followed. They revised that program uh, later in the decade. That was not followed. There were numerous instances in both the uh, DOJ documents and the SEC documents. So if you, uh, rather than complain about the number Walmart had to spend, I think the the proper analysis is uh, FCPA was uh, enacted in 1977, and Walmart— did not really put an effective compliance program in until um, this information uh, that led to this enforcement action uh, became known to them at the highest levels and someone made woke up and made the decision, we've got to self-disclose uh, this uh, because the New York Times would have broken the story uh, anyway uh, because they had the information from one of the original whistleblowers in Mexico. So uh, I think uh, the total numbers Uh, really point to why this is important. Um, The pre-settlement costs really point to what can happen to a company if they don't take compliance and ethics seriously. And then uh, I think Walmart is to be uh, heartily congratulated uh, that certainly that was not, uh, I think, uh, driven home from the settlement documents. But they have, as you have suggested, put in a best-in-class compliance program. Whatever their faults and errors prior to this time may have been. Whatever the theory or or business practices of the prior management, they have completely turned it around. They have put in truly a best in class compliance program. Uh, They have been open and transparent about that in terms of certainly going to conferences and talking about their program, but more importantly, releasing reports to the public, transparency uh, reports on the state of their compliance program. And I think they are rightfully proud of their compliance program. And so I think that's also a really important lesson to be learned, that um, you can make a comeback if senior management uh, is is committed to doing compliance and it's doing compliance. It's not having a paper program. And I guess the finally the last point is that this case uh, really just serves as if, if we need another death knell for the compliance defense, this case really serves as the absolute death knell for it because as I mentioned, Walmart had a compliance program in 2000, as early as 2003, uh, in, uh, 2008, and nine, they revised it up to 2010. Uh, they, Walmart was, uh, the company was still engaging in bribery and corruption. It was a truly a paper program. Uh, the program, uh, had numerous gaps. It, um, allowed bribery and corruption to continue, uh, Whistleblowers, courageous whistleblowers, stepped forward uh, to give senior management the information about allegations of bribery and corruption. Uh, Those allegations were not followed. uh, uh, Whistleblower reports were not followed up. And so uh, for those who really still want a compliance defense, having a compliance program as a defense is is just an absolute non-starter. Walmart had one, and uh, uh, they clearly weren't following it until they did. Uh, and that that when they changed is certainly to be uh, credited to the to them, but uh, for those who want a compliance defense, this case just absolutely uh, de- uh, uh, completely eviscerates their argument uh, about why a compliance defense is valid should be there or any other reason.
1: So I want to read a, a quote from uh, Danforth Newcomb, who's. Um, Often referred to as kind of like the D of uh, the Dean of uh, the U.S. FCPA Bar, and it's quote. I think the Time story, if true, changes the perception of the Walmart matter from being about facilitation payments to something larger than that. And um, I, I think that's where the matter really started to turn because it wasn't simply uh, just about. Uh, specific incidents of bribes being paid for permits, but it also became about something more about a company culture, about um, whistleblowers, you know, taking the uh, direct allegations to the Mexico um, area of business, and then to have that land on the desk of the person who was running the um, the fraud. So I, I think that also really changes how this. Uh, matter got perceived from being something whether you're saying it's about a compliance defense or they're saying about facilitation payments it really struck more to that um, structural basis of not having culture there and I know we've been speaking about that for a large part of this year Um, in terms of getting just the quick uh, numbers out of the way or what the um, what the fine was for Walmart and its wholly owned Brazilian subsidiary, Walmart Brasilia, S-A-R-L, have agreed to pay a combined penalty of $137 million to resolve its violations of the FCPA Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Walmart Brasilia pleaded guilty on Thursday in connection with that. In addition to what they did in Brazil, there were also issues that were in Mexico, that were in India, and that were in China, and these, again, were basically about internal control failures that allowed these uh, foreign subsidiaries to pay bribes. We also discussed that the uh, $282 million was split between the DOJ, who got $137 million, with the remainder going to the SEC, which settled with a cease and desist order. So those are the kind of the facts right now. Um, anything we want to derive from those, Tom?
0: So the, uh, you know, I think we kind of touched on uh, the total fines and penalties and what they, uh, uh, what they uh, how they were derived and and the people who suggest that they were too low. I think, uh, you know, we've talked through that uh, as well.
1: So, Tom, I guess the thing we we're going to uh, discuss now is if you are A retailer who has a similar global footprint to Walmart, or if you're just a company that's doing business globally and you happen to have one of these antique paper programs, what do you think is the first steps that we can tell people how to start going from zero to 60 and moving their compliance program along?
0: So the first thing you have to do, Jay, is you have to get a handle on where you are uh, truly internationally in terms of your compliance regime One of the reasons the Walmart uh, investigative costs pre-settlement were so high is I don't think they had really ever taken a a holistic worldwide view of their compliance risk and compliance exposure. Once again, that's not stated anywhere in the settlement documents, but uh, you asked the question of uh, when we started this podcast, why did this take seven years? And one of the reasons I think is they had to do basically a worldwide forensic audit of their entire compliance program to find out what they had and what they didn't have and so that's the first thing do a risk assessment Uh, the second thing is that uh, you have to get a handle on monies that you may or may not have paid for licenses permits and others Uh, clearly the facilitation payment exception to the fcpa is an important exception you may fall under that exception but you're only going to fall under that exception if you have documented each payment and that payment is reasonable, and and whatever that reasonableness might be, we have had uh, FCPA enforcement actions where as low as three thousand was deemed not reasonable, and we've had declinations where as high as ten thousand was deemed reasonable. So, uh, what is reasonable? It's going to depend on the facts and circumstances of each um, uh, individual case. But you have to get a handle on that. And then the third thing is. And I think this is a direct lesson from Walmart because Walmart and uh, this, I think it was 08 timeframe when they redid their compliance program uh, for the second time, they said uh, they were going to create uh, or or give freedom and flexibility to each country to create a compliance program uh, based upon uh, the business practices of their country. You can't do that. You have to have a centralized compliance program, Uh, You have to have visibility from the corporate office and you have to understand and the business units operating in different countries have to understand uh, corruption may be a uh, pervasive in that country and it may be a tradition in that country, but uh, that's illegal under the FCPA. And while you can make a facilitation payment, it has to be properly recorded and it has to be reasonable. So if you've got a, a, a culture that small-ish um, payments are made to people who do not have a discretionary authority uh, to grant you a license but have to based upon your uh, submissions, that's one thing. But if you're paying the head of licensing in a particular co- country thousands of dollars uh, to uh, uh, there was a couple of phrases, smooth things out uh, was one phrase, and uh, smooth out the bumps uh, was another phrase um, that's, that's going to be problematic.
1: So, um, here's a little bit of a, I guess, cheeky question going back, um, over who's been involved in this matter. Uh, you know, we know that, uh, Jones Day had led the internal investigation and took the comp- company through settlement. Uh, at one point Greenberg Traurig was helping internationally to roll out the, um, uh, ethics and compliance program. And also part of that effort was, a uh, big four accounting company called KPMG. So they have been in the news as of late. Do you think we need to look back on any of the work the company's done over the last seven or eight years since KPMG was associated with that and where their reputation is as of today?
0: Well, you know, separate and apart from all of this discussion on Walmart, every company that has hired KPMG, I think, has to take a very hard look at the work they've done, uh, not only in terms of the specific work, but also uh, were the pers- persons who did the work qualified to do so based upon KPMG's own internal requirements. Uh, I would first look uh, not at the compliance realm, but perhaps more at the audited financial statements. I don't know if KPMG was, is the auditor for Walmart or not. If I were the CFO, I would make that inquiry absolutely first. But I think KPMG has put themselves in a the position where uh, you can't trust Uh, Not only anything they've done, but uh, whether their people are even qualified internally, uh, as they say they are, uh, to do the work that uh, they say they are qualified to do.
1: All right. Let me fire another one at you. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've been speaking about with both the uh, Benskowski memo on how monitors work and taking a look at the 2019 uh, updated evaluation guidance is um, when we take a look at the outcome that we've had now, they're still applying a monitor for two years and Ben Skowski says in you know his writings that you don't really want to have a monitor um, you know put on the matter if the company has spent money um, to self-remediate if they're moving forward but then in this case we see that a monitor after, you know the company did not co- did not come to the government first, but did uh, moderately uh, cooperate. They did give information. They did work on their compliance program. So to bring in Louis Free to be the monitor for two years, even with a very uh, narrow and scope focus, once again, does that uh, comment upon uh, the lack of the company's responsiveness? And is the government really concerned that? Companies still spent a million dollars, but they want to get an independent resource to confirm that the program is currently working.
0: Well, Jay, reading the Binkowski memo and the requirements that the Department of Justice has set for itself to uh, impose a monitor and, frankly, me having heard uh, uh, Assistant Attorney General, or rather Deputy Attorney General, Deputy Assistant Attorney General, uh, Benchkowski speak at the ECI 2019 Impact. Uh, in his discussion of why Fresenius was required to have a monitor, the uh, he said that, uh, that the Department of Justice uh, wanted, uh, uh, the, or that Fresenius had not tested its compliance program enough, and that was the reason for the imposition of the monitor. So it was uh, an acknowledgment that Fresenius had put a compliance program in place, but uh, the DOJ didn't feel it had been sufficiently tested. So, um, with those really the uh, that piece of insight plus the Benchkowski memo, I think we have to at least conclude that it is something around the implementation and/or testing of the compliance program. Um, the bench that would seem to be the only th- reason under the Benchkowski memo to uh to put a monitor in place although clearly if, if you have egregious conduct and you don't cooperate uh, that could be reasons for a monitor but that's not the situation here we had cooperation uh, at least to, to some extent and certainly implementation of a best practices compliance program so the uh the imposition of the monitor I think is going to be around and what the monitors uh, charge will be is testing the uh, efficacy and if effectiveness of the compliance program going forward, uh, perhaps on a worldwide basis.
1: So I know on, I believe, last Friday, you started the first of your um, deep dive unpacks of the Walmart matter. Do you um, have any clue or any preview of what your columns are going to be this week and what you're going to be working with and looking at uh, for this case going forward?
0: So What I'm going to be looking at is the source documents, Plea agreement, NPA, the, the judgment, the uh, uh, and the SEC order. The uh, what, what we're going to put up tomorrow, Jay, is the uh, the bribery schemes. And we're going to take a look at how how Walmart the response Walmart made that led them to receive the credit. Uh, certainly going to talk about the uh, death knell, hopefully forever, of the compliance defense, and uh, how the Walmart case should uh, has settled that issue for all time. And uh, who knows where else the spirit may take
1: me. Uh, Tom, uh, you're going to be wrapping up things and heading off to ACFE. Are are you speaking or attending?
0: So uh, the answer is uh, I'm uh, attending and I'm in the bullpen waiting for the call for a a right-handed either setup guy or closer. I can actually take both roles from the bullpen. So waiting for the signal from the
1: man. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll hear about it at some point this week. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for uh, tuning in for this emergency weekend podcast on the Walmart FCPA resolution. For Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and myself, Mr. Monitor Jay Rosen, we thank you for joining us and have a great week.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this special bonus presentation of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you'll check out my multi-part blog post series. I'm not quite sure how far long it will go, but I'm in the middle of it. I've written about the basic background facts, and uh, by the time this podcast goes up, I will have written about the bribery schemes involved. I'll also take a look at how Walmart made its comeback, the death knell from the compliance defense, and what all this means for the compliance practitioner going forward. If you have any questions, obviously, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You need to talk to Jay. He's at Jay Rosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join us again next week where I'm going to have a special multi part series on the FCPA compliance report, looking at some issues that I've been uh, thinking about, talking about, and talked to some great uh, folks about. So check that out the week of July 1st. The FCPA compliance report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now C Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening.